0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast, where we discuss all things GRC.
1: Well, I think that it's pretty clear by now that uh, boards are not as effective as they might be. So, wh- so what's our evidence for that? Well, I think the Commonwealth Bank Prudential Review showed really deep-seated problems in the governance of risk, in the operation, of the board, and, and the executive.
0: Welcome to the GRC Professional Podcast. My name is Kwame Slusher. I'm the editor of the GRC Professional Magazine, the GRC Professional Online. And today we have with us Professor Elizabeth Sheedy. Hi, Elizabeth. How are you doing?
1: Very well, thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Um, So you must be very excited with your new course that's coming up soon?
1: Very much so, yeah. No, it's kind of, uh, you know, seeing how, uh, you know, 25 years of teaching and research in this space, uh, you know, I feel like I've been able to together all of that expertise and and put it into this new program. Um,
0: So we didn't previously discuss this, obviously, for the podcast, but I mean, just tell us a bit about the course and the partnership between Macquarie and Coursera. Yeah,
1: Yeah. so uh, we've launched uh, a global MBA program in conjunction with Coursera. So this is uh, a program that's online. You can study anytime, anywhere, Mm -hmm. and the pricing is very, very keen. Um, I think what is really good about this is that you can take individual modules as a micro credential. So, you might not be interested in doing a whole global MBA, but you might just be interested in doing the module on risk governance, and you can do that on its own. Um, If you want to, then that can count towards the the global MBA qualification.
0: Well, it sounds very good. Well, today we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what's been changing in terms of the relationship with organizations and this concept of conduct risk and culture. And this is something that we have talked about in the past in terms of yes. measurement or failure to measure accurately and the impact that new legislation like the BEAR might have on culture and conduct.
1: Yes.
0: Um, but I guess I want to jump straight into some comments I saw that you made on LinkedIn, and, and, uh-huh. and I think you were, sort of touched on, and it was looked at the... ASIC's appointment of the psychologist Elizabeth Arzadon, I think is that how you pronounce it, mm-hmm. um, who is you know going to be looking at the boards and the behavior of the boards. Um, so you said ASIC has certainly stirred the pot by appointing psychologist Elizabeth Arzadon to observe boards, but perhaps things need to be stirred up given real problems at board level when it comes to risk governance and culture. So I'm just going to stop there. What do you mean by things need to be stirred up?
1: Well, I think that it's pretty clear by now that uh, boards are not as effective as they might be. Mm. So so what's our evidence for that? Well, I think the Commonwealth Bank Prudential Review showed really deep-seated problems in the governance of risk, you know, the operation of the board and, and the executive. And the underlying problem was just uh, incredible complacency mm. and overconfidence. And then uh, APRA took, asked 36 institutions to do their own self-assessment based on that report. And it's clear that APRA is really worried that this, the problems in the Commonwealth are widespread. Mm. Uh, so, so that's the fundamental problem. Um, they particularly highlighted that many institutions just do not yet understand risk culture and therefore may not be reinforcing the desired behaviours. This is a really big problem.
0: So, I mean, how do we get organisations to think about this seriously? And, you know, I was kind of wondering when I saw your comment, does that mean that the organisations need to take more action, you know, like how ASIC talked about their regulatory toolkit and how they'd be asking that question, why not litigate? Um, You know, should there be more penalties or should they be doing better at education? Should they be better at communicating with entities?
1: Mm. Well, uh, so... So I, I guess what we're talking about is shaking senior leaders out of this sense of complacency. And sure, one way of doing that is by having severe penalties. Um, but you know, it would wouldn't it be far better if we can uh, you know try and address these problems without terrible customer outcomes and without having to impose penalties? Uh, so. I think the idea of better education and and very specific feedback to boards is a helpful one. So, if you you know what if you look at the uh, the recent APRO self assessment report. Uh, what they're saying is that they, APRA is going to be writing to the boards of each of the 36 institutions to provide feedback on their self assessments. So the, the boards are gonna be getting very specific individualized feedback um, to say, so, you know, so the, the boards are all saying, oh, the problem, it's not our problem. Everyone else has got the problem, not us. Mm. And APRA is gonna go and say, no, it's you. And, and that's why I also think uh, what Elizabeth Arzadon can do can be quite helpful because she can go in there and talk to people very directly and and say, this is not just a general problem, it's your problem. So it, it's, I see this as quite important as getting, getting the senior leaders to recognize uh, that they are overconfident, they are complacent.
0: Right. Um, and in the article I saw, I think, as well, you, you mentioned about the sort of pejorative term that was, you shrink oh, yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the context of um, Elizabeth Arzadon. So I guess it would be important to talk about the what impact can psychologists have on... Yeah.
1: So I, I think it's fair to say that organisational psychology is not well understood. Yeah. Let me make it clear, I'm not an organisational psychologist, um, but I have worked with with organisational psychologists and I respect them very much. Um, so uh, it's very different. I, I think most people are more familiar with psychologists in the sense of, you know, someone that you can go to and talk about your problems in your relationship or maybe problems that you might be experiencing with depression and anxiety. Those are the things that we're more familiar with with psychologists. Organizational psychology is quite different to to those things. It's more looking at human interactions in organizations. Uh, And so, I mean, they have expertise in everything to do with human interactions in the workplace, but um, obviously a big part of that is culture. So I think it makes perfect sense to have a psychologist involved in this kind of program. One of the things I really respect about psychologists uh, is that they tend to have a very rigorous evidence-based approach to things. Uh, And that's something that we see far too little in the world of management. You know, very often we will see, uh, you know, new management fads come along and, you know, take hold with no real supportive evidence. Psychologists don't really operate that way. Mm. That's one of the things I like about them.
0: And I know you made that comment when we spoke a while back about the way people were attempting to measure culture in their organization and using these tools that had not been tested. We don't know if they actually work. Yeah. yeah. So, and I guess what, you know, moving further from that conversation about, you know, what an organisational psychologist does, what do you think, impact do you think she will have, you know, possibly going forward for Australian financial services?
1: Well, look, it, it depends a little bit on how the senior leaders uh, cooperate. Right. Okay. I mean, if, if the senior leaders are really uncooperative and, and just have a, you know, are not willing to engage with her, then of course she can't do anything, right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. It's what's what's the, the old um, the old joke, you know, how many psychologists does it take to change a light globe? Um, one, but the light globe's got to really want to change, <laughs> okay? So she can't impose anything mm. on people that don't yeah. want it, but, but I actually think the majority of directors and senior executives you know, they are open to constructive feedback and and help, okay? So so I would hope that the majority will work with her constructively and see it as an opportunity. This is a wonderful opportunity for them to um, improve and become more effective. So, you know, depending on... It really comes down a lot to her, you know, th- their attitude. Um, I guess one concern I have is that Elizabeth is one person. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's these problems are so widespread. Uh, I guess the point I would make is that we need probably twenty Elizabeths, <laughs> uh, and you know we need more people with this kind of experience and knowledge, not just in the, uh, not just in. Uh, you know doing this kind of consulting work but actually within the regulators so it's of concern to me I don't you know we tend when you look at APRA and ASIC they tend to be staffed with people uh, who either have legal backgrounds or backgrounds in finance and economics Uh, I think we need many more uh, people with psychology backgrounds actually employed within the regulators so we don't have to be so reliant on someone like Elizabeth, who's an external consultant.
0: And I guess that could also have an impact in how um, enforcement priorities are organized because it will be an understanding of human behavior underneath it all.
1: Uh, absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah.
0: Um, so I guess moving, you mentioned APRA a few times, so I think it's it's fitting to, to move on from there. Um, when we spoke immediately after the publication of the final report for the Royal Commission to Financial Services, mm-hmm. um, I think one of the things that you felt positive about um, and probably one of the only things you felt positive about was the bear and the yeah. expansion of the bear. Yes. yes. Uh, what, what do you think? Do you think that that is still one of the major tools that regulators have to having an impact on culture at the moment?
1: Yeah, so I've continued to look into this issue of accountability much more mm. um, over the since the final report uh, was released. Uh, I've been taking a good look at what is in the academic literature about accountability, and uh, I would say it's that there's some there is some evidence that accountability is effective in certain circumstances not that it's a uh, you know we we should understand there are some potential downsides to it mm-hmm. um but so i think that it's definitely a solution that shows promise um actually i'm i'm re- i'm enthusiastic about doing some more research in my in this area myself mm. because i think w- we need to understand more about what are the limits of accountability okay so As a general proposition, accountability might work well, but does it perhaps depend on the characteristics of the accountable person? You know, Mm -hmm. their personality, their attitudes. Does it depend on the characteristics of the organisation? You know, the size of the organisation, the business model and so forth. So uh, we need to know a lot more about how effective accountability is uh, and what are the boundaries of its effectiveness.
0: Right. And, I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up. Um, not one of the things we discussed previously, but I had an opportunity to speak to a few people who I guess would be defined as the accountable persons within their organisation or have been responsible yeah. for implementing the bear. And one of the complications that was raised um, was one, that the legislation itself is hierarchical in, by nature, mm-hmm. but many of the larger financial institutions are actually less and less hierarchical as they mm-hmm. develop. So there was a question of how that would be applied. And then oh. there was also a question, and then I guess questions of accountability got quite complex. I mean, they were good in the sense that you, you're reviewing your entire system and realizing where things intersect uh-huh. and where things don't intersect and where there might be gaps. But also, the I guess, that question of overlaps and having to restructure certain rules.
1: Yeah, it's complicated in yeah. there are large large organizations are incredibly complicated and you know, we often have these matrix reporting structures yeah. I mean, even at the university where I work, I'm working under a matrix reporting structure. So that makes this issue of the accountabilities so much more difficult and yeah. that I, I agree that's something that we need to understand more about. Um,
0: okay, well we're coming up to the end of the interview, I hope mm-hmm. it hasn't been too painful so no, far. No, no. Uh, <laughs> So, you know, we've talked a bit about the powers from ASIC and APRA uh, and, you know, the way they're trying to, you know, make that change within the financial services in Australia. Is there anything else that you think um, can be done to change the conversations that boards are having to something that will be more productive and effective?
1: Yeah, look, I I would like to come back to this, to uh, the issue of shareholders. Okay, So, ultimately, directors are appointed by shareholders and they, I think they feel very much beholden to... You know, the shareholders are their first priority. That's their first stakeholder group above and beyond any other stakeholder group that they consider. Uh, and there is always a tension because most shareholders or maybe, yeah, a lot of... Sh- perhaps most isn't the right word, but there are a lot of shareholders that seem to really want those high short-term profits. And there's a fundamental tension there with good risk management because good risk management is about long-term performance. Mm. Um, So I would like to see uh, some, particularly some of the the, uh, superannuation funds that have a longer-term perspective, really starting to um, voice their perspective more clearly. we want to hear the superannuation funds who now are very significant shareholders make it clear to the boards that they want long-term sustainable performance, not these short-term, unsustainable profits that actually end up hurting the customers.
0: Okay. well, thank you very much for coming in this morning.
1: My pleasure, Tommy.
0: Thank you for listening to the Jersey Professional Podcast. This podcast was produced by the Jersey Institute and the original music was written by Rob Neary.